Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. When I was in high school, my uh, senior year, there was a, a gentleman who was, uh, I guess, somewhat of a family friend, if you will, who recently had just purchased a brand new co- uh, convertible Corvette. It was uh, bright red. It was awesome. It was everything every high school boy would ever love to drive, right? And uh, he was actually a really good friend of the guy that I worked for. And uh, we were having some conversations. He had stopped by uh, the spot that I worked. It was, a, it was an oil company in town. And uh, he, he showed up and we were talking about it. And he's like, hey, do you want to borrow it? And I was like, well, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. Of course I want to borrow it. And he said, man, that's cool. He said, not a problem. Let, let's, let's do it. And so um, he let me borrow his Corvette. And so before he just kind of handed me the keys and just said, here it is, he said, let's, let's go on a test ride together uh, before you take it. And I was like, okay. And so we, uh, I, I grew up in a small town, all right? There's literally um, two roads that lead into this town, okay? Um, one, Highway 64 and then Highway 18. And so when you're in town driving, the speed limit's like 35 miles per hour, right? And so that's where we start. And, and we're going out of town, and it increases to 45 miles per hour. And I'm watching, like, I'm watching the dial. Like, I'm, I'm like, right on the money. I'm not, I'm not doing the five over, you know, kind of a deal. Like, I'm, I'm like, this guy is giving me the opportunity to drive his Corvette. And so we finally get to, the, like, the outer, the outer part of town where it gets to 55 miles per hour. And so I'm just cruising. And, and I, I need you to understand this for a minute, okay? The vehicle that I normally drive right, is a 1987 Isuzu Trooper, okay, that has a four-cylinder engine in it, that when you press the gas, the air conditioning and the lights go down. Like, the lights get dimmer, and the air conditioning doesn't blow as hard, right? Like, that's, it's all trying to just make it up the hill kind of a vehicle. It's a five-speed, like, that's what I'm used to driving. And so I'm I'm like cruising at 55 miles an hour, and he looks at me, the owner of this Corvette, and he says, well, hit the gas. And I'm like, I, I, I am. <laughs> like, I, I am. He said, so I, I you know, I kind of ease into it and get up to 60, 60 miles an hour. And he's, no, you don't understand what I mean. He said, this vehicle, it's made for this moment. I said, what moment? He said, I want you to push the pedal all the way to the floor. You want me to what? (laughs) And so I do. And when I push the pedal all the way to the floor in my Isuzu Trooper, nothing happens. (laughs) Because it's already to the floor. And so I push the pedal to the floor. And it's hard to describe what you experience in that moment. But you pin yourself to the back of the chair, and it's almost as if this vehicle jumps from 60 miles an hour to about 80 miles an hour like that. It was wild. And here he is letting me drive this vehicle, and then he says, it's yours for the weekend. Now, let me explain why I share this with you. I had heard a lot about Corvettes. 
I didn't know a lot, but I had heard a lot. I, you can just look at it and tell that it goes fast. There's a difference in knowing about something and experiencing something. And there's even a difference in experiencing it from the passenger seat and in the driver's seat. This morning, I mentioned during the welcome time that we are beginning our Experiencing God series. I'm grateful that we set a goal. We said we want to see 200 of our people engage in this small group Bible study. And as I mentioned earlier, we bought 200 books and we gave all 200 of those out and had to order more. And so um, we're going we're gonna to see how many total we end up having engaged in this. But, but the, the idea is that collectively we as a church align ourselves under this study, not because there's anything magical about this study experiencing God, okay, but it is about us as a people of God longing for more than just information about God and longing for more than even just feelings and emotions, but longing to go deep into experiencing God and all that he is and all that he's created us to be. So the question that I think that we must begin with is what does it mean to experience God? What does it mean to experience God? When you hear that phrase, maybe even depending on your background and how you were raised and what tradition or what denomination, there's probably some different nuances, some different thoughts that come to your mind. There's this idea that when we say we want to experience God, there are some feelings that we associate with. I grew up in a student ministry. You go to camp and you experience God at camp with all of the emotions and all of the, the goosebumps on your, your arms when you're in the presence of God. You've experienced God and then you go home and two weeks later, you're not experiencing God anymore, if you know what I mean. Right? It, it, there's got to be more to experiencing God than just emotions and just feelings. For some, experiencing God is this enlightened knowledge of these deeper truths where, where you've studied and you have all of this intellectual knowledge and this understanding. And um, the, the Gnostics and the old were, were guilty of this, where it's this idea that I've made it to this next level because I have all of this information about God. What I would articulate this morning that experiencing God is much deeper than feelings and fuller than knowledge. I do believe that there are feelings that come as we walk in relationship with God. I do believe that there are deeper truths that we need to, to dive into and to know. But if it's just feelings and if it's just knowledge, then we've completely missed what it means to experience God. What we'll learn over these next weeks is that experiencing God is about knowing and doing the will of God. There is a sense in which to experience God requires movement. It requires action. It requires response. It requires us being a part of the process. My ability to experience all that that Corvette offered was because I was willing to listen to the owner of the Corvette and follow his instructions to engage in that, to press my foot to the floor, and then out of that came the experience of the power of what was offered in the Corvette. Now, let me be very clear. God is not a Corvette. I think you understand that. 
But I think that we can understand the alignment of the illustration as we understand this idea of experiencing God as knowing and doing the will of God. It's about aligning our hearts. It's about aligning our minds. It's about aligning our lives to that of God's and then walking in obedience to who he is and what he says. As you study this experiencing God um, study, this Bible study, you're going to realize that there are seven realities. You're going to learn that there's seven realities of experiencing God. And over the next 12 weeks, I'll introduce them and and talk through them. But I want to give you the big picture this morning uh, through this visual illustration, this picture that's going to be up on the screen. And I want to walk through this because I think it's important for us to understand these different seven realities as we begin this study. The first one is that God is always at work around you. God is always at work. Now listen, this is important to understand because whether you can see it or not, God is at work. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, as we think through this, the second one is this. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and is personal. Notice on the illustration, we see that God is at work. The arrow points to the side that we are to obey that. But there's this journey of experiencing him that's essential for us to walk in obedience. And part of that is the relationship. And then number three is that God invites us to become involved with him in his work. He's doing a work, but he chooses to use us to be a part of it. And so God speaks. God speaks to us by his spirit, by the Bible, through prayer, through our circumstances, through his church. And he reveals his purposes. He reveals his ways. He reveals his will to us. And he invites us. And that invitation into us being a part of this leads to what is known as a crisis of belief. You mean you want me to do what? You mean you want us to do what? You want me to push the pedal to the floor? And there's a crisis of belief that happens in our life that we have to then decide, am I going to walk in obedience through faith and action in response to that? If so, then the sixth one is this, that you must make major adjustments to your life. And then number seven, then you can walk in obedience to him. And in that, you are experiencing him. Do you see? This is more than emotion. This is more than knowledge. This is about a journey of intimacy with God and Him at work in us and then Him at work through us. So this morning, I want to take us to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, the scripture memory for week one's study is verse 5. Verse 5, I want to read verses 1 through 5 for us to have the full context. So read with me John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. These are the words of Jesus as he speaks to his disciples. He says this, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, what does it say? He removes, and he prunes Every branch that does produce fruit, so why? That it will produce more fruit. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. We'll get back to that verse. It seems a little odd there. Verse 4, remain in me and I in you. 
Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. And then verse 5, our scripture memory, I am the vine, you are the branches. What does it say next? The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do what? Nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. Now, I, I think as we recognize what Jesus is speaking in this passage, the, the illustration that he paints is very clear. I think we all would easily wrap our minds in understanding what he's talking about here. Now, let me set the context, though, because it, I think it elevates what Jesus is trying to communicate. If you look at the context and you look at the chapters around here, you notice that Jesus is very close to the cross. Very soon will Jesus be in the Garden of Gethsemane being betrayed and being arrested and then being beaten and then being crucified on the cross. And so these words that we find in John chapter 15 and the surrounding chapters, scholars call this the farewell discourse. These are Jesus' last words to his authentic followers before he goes to the cross it's almost as if it's a person who knows that he or she is about to die and he pulls the family together, pulls the closest friends, pulls the ones very close to him and says, here's what I need you to know before I'm gone. And these are the words that Jesus is speaking in this context. Now, Jesus being the master teacher, he's always using these visual pictures, these illustrations to help us really wrap our minds around what does it mean to truly be a follower of him and in this one, we know that he's talking about a vineyard. He's talking about a vine. He's talking about branches. Now, I brought, I brought a, a tree this morning. It's really a branch, but it looks like a tree, so you have to bear with me. And I, I walked in this morning, and Philip Corbin, who leads, uh, does a great job helping lead our, our media ministry, he said, where's the vine? I said, back off, buddy, all right? I don't have any vines in my backyard. Actually, I lie. I actually do. We have some weird, those real nasty looking, weird looking vines hanging off of trees. Uh, I almost climbed up there and chopped some down, but I was like, no, that's not going to work. So we understand this idea, this picture of vines. They really understood it in that context. All over the place in that culture, in that setting, in that region of the world, there were vineyards. And so when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and talking about bearing fruit, it's not like in their minds they had to kind of think through, now what is he talking about again? They didn't have to get Google out and kind of draw up a picture of what a, a vineyard looks like or, or a vine with grapes. Like it was, it was part of their culture. Their minds immediately understood what Jesus was talking about when he says this. I believe that this vivid imagery that Jesus teaches is transformative for us if we're going to experience God. Meaning this, if we don't get this, we won't get anything to come. So what do we need to understand? Number one is this, if you're taking notes, we need to understand the picture. What's the picture that Jesus is painting? And it's this, that your identity is everything. Your identity is everything. What do I mean by that? As we read through this text, what did you hear over and over and over again? Jesus kept saying, I am what? The vine. You are the branches. I'm the vine. You're the branches. I'm the vine. You're the branches. And he's repeating this because he wants the hearers, he wants us to make sure there's 
clear reality of knowing who you are and who he is. He is the vine. We are the branches. You notice he repeats it. He says it in verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. He prunes every branch that produces fruit. Verse 4, remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the what? The branches. Now, what Jesus is doing here is monumental. And here's why. For all of history of the Bible, the people were known as the vines. You're like, wait a minute, what? In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse, really that whole section there, there's a love song that Isaiah is writing, that he's singing, that is from the Lord. It's about God loving his vineyard, and his vineyard, the vines in the vineyard, are Israel, the people of God. And what we see, if you look over at Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 2, it says that God expected the vine, the vineyard, to yield good grapes, but it yielded, what does it say? Worthless grapes. And so we have this picture in the Old Testament that Israel is known as the vine. They're the ones that are supposed to produce fruit of righteousness. But what we see in this word from Isaiah from God to the people is that God loves you. You are his vineyard, but you are supposed to produce really good fruit. But all that you've produced is worthless nothing. Worthless fruit. And so we have this picture of what's happening, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's gathered his followers, most of who are Jews, most of people who are from Israel, right, from that lineage, and they're the people of God, and they're hearing Jesus say, I am the vine, you are the branches, and in their mind, they're saying, no, all that I heard growing up is that we are the vines, And what Jesus is doing is he's shifting, he's changing this identity, and it's a monumental shift that is good news for us. Why? What is the role of the vine? The role of the vine is to be the fruit producer. The role of the branch is to do nothing other than to just be connected to the vine, and the fruit gets to hang on the branches. And so in the Old Testament, when Israel's known as the vine, they're trying, and they're trying, and they're trying, and all they're doing is producing worthless fruit, emptiness, nothingness. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he clarifies the identity of who the vine is and where the sustenance comes from, the source of life is the vine, and you aren't your own source of life. Jesus is. Jesus is. So Jesus offers this life-changing shift in identity by being responsible as the vine. Now, notice in verse 1, and notice in verse 5, how does he describe himself as the vine? He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Meaning this, he's always been the vine, 
there's just been a misunderstanding of what the people's identity is. They've tried to be what they weren't created to be. Now, when Jesus says, I am, in the book of John, there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. He says, I am the bread. He says, I am the light. He says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now, finally, he says, I am the true vine. And when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and they show up and he says, who is it that you're looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And it says that when he says, I am he, that the, that the guards that were coming to arrest him fell back to the ground. Because he says, I am he. Now, when we say, I am this or I am that, it doesn't carry any other meaning other than I'm just clarifying something. But Jesus using this statement, ego am I, which is I am, it is this. He is referring back to the Old Testament when Moses is having an encounter with God, an experience with God, where God is rescuing his people and he's inviting Moses into the process. And he's at this burning bush and he says that he's on holy ground. And so Moses is there and he's hearing from God and God's saying, I want to use you, Moses. I'm going to use you to rescue the people from perishing as slaves. I'm going to use you to set them free. He says, who am I to tell them, sent me? In other words, whose authority, whose power, whose life-giving ability is sending me to accomplish this work? And God's response is, I am who I am is my name. And what that means is that he is eternal. There's no to him. He is, meaning every source of life that's needed comes from him. Every ounce of power that's needed is from him. Any supply that's needed is from him. Anything that you could ever need, God is saying, I have. Why? Because I am. All things exist because of me and through me. And so when Jesus says, I am the vine. The good news about this is he means that he is a vine, not just any vine. He is the vine. I am the vine. And it is the vine that will never, ever, ever dry up. Meaning this, if you are a branch connected to this vine, you have no worry that this vine is ever going to be chopped up. It's never going to be cut. It's never going to be pulled out. The wind's never going to topple it. A fire will never destroy it. It'll never dry up. It will always produce life. I am the true vine. And guess what, church? You just get to be branches. But sometimes we don't want to just be the branch. We want the glory of being the vine, don't we? But Jesus says, no, you are the vine. And that leads us to number two, understanding the plan. Your role is simple. If Jesus is the vine and he is the source of life, then our role is very simple. Stay connected to the source of life. Amen? Stay connected to the source of life. He uses this. Notice again in verse 4, remain in me. Some translations, they say abide in me. 
He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him. That's the one that's going to produce much fruit. Our role is simple. He says it over and over again. It's to remain. It's to abide. I think we have a hard problem or a hard time with remaining because remaining does not require much energy, does it? It simply means stay put. Be connected. Allow all of the source of life and all the source of power and all the source of your accomplishing anything to come from the vine. Listen, this branch can never, ever produce anything like this. It can't. You know it. I know it. It's been laying in my backyard for a long time, ever since a storm came last, last summer. Why? Because it's not connected to anything life-giving. And just as this branch can't produce any life, when our lives are not intertwined, connected, remaining, abiding in the life giver, Jesus, that we look very much like this branch. This is a good looking branch, by the way, isn't it? I mean, there's some ugly branches out there. I got the best looking one I could find. But it is not producing anything. And so what does it mean for us to remain? What does it mean for us to abide? Number one is this, before you remain, you must be connected. Notice when he doesn't say in this, he doesn't say, I am the vine, you're the branch, and you need to get connected to me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branch, remain in me. Stay put, be there, don't get connected. In other words, there is an assumption, there is a realization that Jesus is talking to people who are already connected. He's talking to believers. He's talking to his followers. He's got his close inner circle. It's his farewell discourse. And what he's saying is, you need to remain. Your life is in me, and your life will be in me. Stay connected. Remain with me. But it's making this assumption that you are already connected, and there are those who aren't connected. And this is the power and the beauty of the gospel. And I don't know how this works, but apparently there is a way for branches to be grafted into vines in real life. They take a knife and they, they, they cut a slip and they take a branch, right, that's been cut from something else and they graft it into the vine and they wrap it up tight. And it all of a sudden, because it's been grafted into that vine that is life-giving, all of a sudden that branch, which was on the verge of dying, now has a source of life to give it life. That grafting in is this. When we look to the vine, when we look to Jesus as the sole life giver, recognizing that we are dead without him and place faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, then we become connected to the vine in such a way that we now have a new life that's been given to us, a source of life that continues on for all of eternity. This is good news, church. And so 
there is this assumption that that's already taken place. Perhaps in your life that hasn't taken place. The scripture says today's the day of salvation. Trusting in Jesus, turning from your sin, recognizing that he and he alone gives life. Number two is this. As you remain, the scripture tells us, you will be pruned. As you remain, you will be pruned. What did verse 1 tell us? What does it say? It says, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that does produce fruit, so that it will be what? More fruitful. Meaning this, that if you are connected to the vine, you will be producing fruit. And if you are producing fruit, God is going to do something in you called pruning. If you don't know what pruning is, pruning is cutting back. It's where they take scissors and they cut you. And it, and it cuts off parts of the branch so that I can be more fruitful. Now, as I was studying this, here's what I learned. There's two types of pruning that take place. There is pruning of that which is alive. There are green branches that are pruned to protect that there's more fruit than branch. You follow me in this? That there is pruning of that which is alive back so more fruit will, will grow than branches. In other words, God wants more of his glory and his fruit produced in your life than he wants your life produced in your life. And so what I picture this being is there are good things in your life that God is doing at work. And he's going to prune some of that things to guard and protect against pride growing up where the emphasis is on the branch and not the fruit. There's also pruning of dead spots. You ever have a, a, a tree or a bush that has some dead branches in it? You go and you cut those back to prevent against decay. See, even in Christ, we still struggle with sin, and in our sin, guess what? There are things that are dead in us. There are things that are decaying in us that need to be cut back, that need to be pruned, and this is what God does in the pruning process. He uses circumstances, trials, and discipline to prune us and to shape us into his image. And rather than looking at these circumstances and these things in our life and being angry with God, we ought to look at these things that are happening in our life saying, God, thank you for pruning me and shaping me and molding me so that your fruit of godliness can be produced through me more and more and more. Do not stop until you have made me into what you want me to be. That's a hard prayer to ask. And then what does it mean to remain? Number three is this, as you remain, God's word will feed you. God's word will feed you. Notice in verse seven, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. There is a dual relationship in this. In verse four, in verse five, it says that if you remain in him and he in you, there's this interconnectedness where you are in him and he is in you. And then in verse 7, there's clarification of what that means. It's this, if you remain in me and my what? My words 
remain in you. So how is it that Jesus remains in you? We know that the Holy Spirit remains in you, that he's alive in you, that practically speaking, it's his words that remain in you. In other words, his word, the word of God is living and is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. As it gets in you, it's him remaining in you, and it's nourishing you, and it's feeding you so that you can then produce fruit. See, the way to remain is to remain in his word. We get in the word till the word gets in us, and it is his word that is the life-giving source. We need to move us toward a love relationship with him and a willing obedience as we follow him. And he notice he says in this verse, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. We, we, we want to jump to that verse, don't we? But what is the person who is remaining in him and his words in him going to ask for? That he would produce much fruit in you. Not your fruit, but his fruit. And so all of a sudden your will and your heart and your passions and your desire and your agenda and your priorities all are aligned with his because you are intertwined and you are interconnected and you're doing and longing for what he longs for. And so we see this idea that we need to remain, and our role is simple as the branch to remain. And finally is this, number three, the promise. We need to understand the promise. What is Jesus saying here? The promise is this, that your life will produce fruit. If you are a branch connected to a vine, and this vine is a fruit-producing vine, which the Bible says that Jesus is, then you as the branch can't help but produce fruit. It's going to happen. This is a big deal for Jesus. In verse 2, he says, The one who doesn't produce fruit is thrown out. And the one that does, he's pruned. Why? So it can produce more fruit. You remain so you can produce fruit in verse 4. Verse 5, he says, you will produce much fruit. Verse 7, the asking is aligned with the desires of the vine to produce a certain kind of fruit. Now notice verse 8. My Father is glorified by this. How is God glorified? That you produce much fruit. You want to glorify God with your life? then let your life be a vessel to produce the fruit of godliness and the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of his kingdom. In that, God is glorified. And notice how he ends that verse. And so prove to be my disciples. The evidence of authentic following of Jesus and experiencing Jesus is not goosebumps. It's not being able to pass a Bible quiz. It's that your life is producing fruit. The fruit of godliness, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of making disciples, the fruit of longing for justice, the fruit of loving one another, the fruit of doing what God has commanded us to do, to be about his business. Let me summarize what fruit bearing is with this statement. It's this. That our attitudes, our words, our actions, our priorities, our resources, and our lives will align with the ways and purposes of God and his kingdom. And then we will walk in that and that will be produced in our lives. We're about his business and his kingdom. So Jesus says in verse 5 at the end, you can do nothing 
without me. Just as this branch can produce nothing without being connected to a life-giving source, so you can do nothing. Now, here's when we read this, the disconnect. You ready? You and I are capable of doing much. Let me repeat that. The Bible says that you can do nothing without me, but I'm saying that we are capable of doing much. And we live our lives, can we just be honest, accomplishing much for ourselves. We can do a lot. We can build a lot. We can accomplish a lot. We can do a lot of things that say, look at what we've done. But if you want to live your life accomplishing for a kingdom that is eternal, not the kingdom here on this earth, but the kingdom of God, you can't do it alone. You must be connected. Now, here's where it matters. Only one will last for eternity. And only one is a picture of a disciple. And only one is someone who has truly and is truly experiencing God. Listen, when we moved into our house in Hendersonville years ago, there was a, one of those newer trees that has strings tied to it that's kind of holding it up, and it's pretty barren. It honestly looked a lot like this. And when we moved in, there was a storm that came, and it actually blew it over. And me being very wise, uh, well, this is a new tree. I'm just going to make this happen. And so I, I literally went to Lowe's, and I talked to the person. I said, like, hey, you got any tree fertilizer? And she's like, here. And so I, I went home, and I dug out the hole, and I put tree fertilizer in there, and I stuck that, that trunk back in the ground and retightened all the string up. And I had a tree in the side of the yard that looks much like this, just a little bit bigger. And I thought, well, it'll come back to life, surely, right? I know nothing about growing stuff. I'm just trying hard. You know what? It never produced fruit. It never grew leaves. It looked really good. It looked like a tree. In the winter, it lined up with everyone else. (laughs) Listen, church. Sometimes... We are playing the game of Christianity, and we look the part. We look like a tree. But time will tell if we're going to produce fruit. Just because we're propped up in church, and just because the fertilizer and we open God's word every now and then is dumped in, does not mean anything if you are not connected to Jesus. Only being connected to Jesus produces fruit. Would you bow your heads with me? Church, I believe one of the most tragic lies that one will ever believe is that they are okay without Jesus. It's simply not true. He is the vine. And we are the branches. The one who remains in him and he in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the invitation. It's this. Number one, are you connected to the vine? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Number two is this. Are you remaining in him? Or are you finding yourself connected to a bunch of other things that aren't giving you life? Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you are the life giver, 
And so God, we, as your people this morning, acknowledge our need for you. God, help us to walk connected. Help us to walk and to be and to remain with you. Lord, I pray for the person in this room that needs a relationship with you, that needs the life-giving source of Jesus. Lord, would today be their salvation. Lord, for the person who has been saved but is quite honestly finding themselves a little bit disconnected from the vine, God, would they just be willing to repent, turn back, and just to realign their lives with you? God, you accomplish it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to respond in song. Pastor Casey and myself are down front. If you need someone to pray with you, encourage you, we'd be happy to do so, but you respond as the Lord leads. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.